I think that's true about us. The rest of this journey is trying to figure out what the hell happened? What happened? And because we're human beings and we think about stuff as we try to determine that. And what's happening now is those of us that are trying to carry a message, we're just through that process, we're trying to figure out what the hell happened. Why am I here? Is there a purpose for this? And my experience is, yes, I think there is. Is it just me talking like now? No, but that's certainly part of it. When I'm sitting across the kitchen table with somebody reading the book, there's the purpose. It's very clear. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride, take what you want, and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, hello, my little chickadees. That was the voice of the one and only Mr. Bill C. that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And thankfully, you are going to hear so much more from him in just a moment. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So, take a seat around this virtual table and let's get started. Just one announcement here at the beginning of the episode. I know that most of you are familiar with this or, or you know about this already, but we unfortunately had to cancel the March 20th event, the Sober Speak Live event with Sumera S., uh, due to all the uncertainty in the world, and it was just the right thing to do. However, we do have Samara rescheduled for Friday, September 4th already, and she will be at 7 p.m. at the Grace Avenue United Methodist Church. Our next live event, ladies and gents, will feature Mr. David G. Yes, the David G. that most of you have heard on this podcast at least once or twice. And he's going to be uh, with us on Friday, June 5th at 7 p.m. All the information will be on our website here. Eventually, we, eventually it will be held at the Grace Avenue United Methodist Church in Frisco, Texas once again. And just in case you're writing any of this down in your calendar, the final live event for 2020 will feature Mr. Gary K from this very podcast on December 4th. All right. 
So I'm going to get right into it today. As you know, we have uh, Mr. Bill C. Oh, just a couple of little announcements here. First, my apologies. Uh, if you are not in the secret Facebook group and you would like to be, please join us. Um, I just need you to send me your email associated with your Facebook account to my email, John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and we will get you on in that that uh, uh, secret Facebook grouping. And keep in mind, right now, especially during these, uh, once again, uncertain times, there are tons of of remote meetings. They're usually either Zoom or Skype uh, posted inside the secret Facebook group. For those of you uh, who cannot get to meetings or simply do not want to attend meetings at this time, and I completely understand this, the secret Facebook group is different than the public Sober Speak Facebook page, which you can find. Uh, the secret Facebook group can only be uh, accessed uh, by an invite. And obviously, we do that for um, anonymity sakes. And there are a ton of amazing like-minded friends of Bill W., Al-Anon, and other 12-step programs in that group. And we would love to have you join us. If you're not following me and Cassandra on Instagram, uh, just go there. <laughs> That's a simple way to get there. And just hit follow. Uh, we're at SoberSpeak, all one Word. All right, now on to Mr. Bill C. Bill C is going to be covering step three in depth, step three of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, Bill will also talk about the history of the daily email that he sends out. And we had a great conversation about that and where it came from. So, folks, without further ado, buckle up and enjoy the ride. Help me to welcome Mr. Bill C. See, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this. Last time we got together, we essentially uh, went through steps one, two, and three, but we really didn't touch much on three at all. So we're going to pick it up there again. We'll make this kind of a step study series, if you will. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to go ahead and ask you real quick. I, I receive on a daily basis an email from you, which I requested to be on. And why don't you go, and, and I love the email. It is, oh, just, uh, it's well put together. It's easy to read. It's short. It's to the point. And uh, I use it in my morning meditations. So why don't you go ahead and explain to people what that is that you send out and what the genesis of it was. And Sure. Um, uh, back in the early 2000s, um, I made a friend. Uh, my sponsor was sponsoring this guy named Ed Moore. And Ed started putting that together and sending it out. He would compile usually three quotes from disparate sources, um, kind of a theme to each one, and he would, he would send this out. And he would do it occasionally. So I started getting it from him and and, and at the same time, I was beginning to start do, to do workshops and stuff around the country on sponsorship and different topics. And, and I do it with myself or with other guys together sometimes. I started doing these workshops. 
And a lot of it had to do with some AA history. So I would have documents like the Akron Manual and everybody wanted a copy. And so it was a, kind of a cumbersome thing to make copies. And when I would travel and go do these things, these places would have to copy it all off and have it there at the retreat. And so what I started doing is I just started gathering email addresses. I'd tell everybody, well, sign up here, give me your email address preferably write legibly so I can read it. And I started sending the materials that I would talk about to them after the retreat. And when I had these three quotes and I just started compiling this list and I would send out the quotes, you know, just on a daily basis, I'd get them from Ed and then I would forward them on and send them on. And then I, sometimes I would change the format or I'd create some of my own and, and it, and then over the years, it's just, grown and it kind of has had a life of its own. I have about somewhere between 3,500 and 4,000 addresses and I send it out every day. And, uh, and another interesting thing has happened from that is it has grown just on its own. Uh, there's all these people that I have a relationship with around the world that I've never met. Mm-hmm. So as I travel more, I let people know on this thing where I'm going to be. And sometime, you know, Kansas City or Moscow or wherever it might be. And these people come up and go, you're that guy that sends out those. <laughs> <laughs> and at the International Convention, which is coming up in, in uh, Detroit in July, for the last several conventions, I'll send out a blurb saying that I will be at the opening ceremonies on the left-hand side of the stage, if you want to come up and say hi, because people travel from all over the world and, and every, you know, we'll have a, like a good little gathering of, and I always tell them, am I as handsome as you thought I would be? <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a real, it's been a real gift over the years. It's turned into something. I, it just kind of grew on its own. Now, some years ago, and this, the anniversary of this is coming up. My friend Ed, that started this thing, passed away. He had some cancer. He had some problems. He struggled with it for a long time. And, and we're going to have a little um, memorial for him. A lot of the guys that he sponsors, he lived in the Netherlands. He was in The Hague in the Netherlands. And uh, so we're going to Skype in and kind of participate in this little party of his sponsees and friends. And uh, when, when Ed died, uh, even before then, I, I took over the whole thing and he just couldn't do it anymore. And, uh, but it, it's, in, it's a memorial in memoriam for my friend Ed Moore. He was a real soldier. Um, him and his uh, girl Monica actually started Cocaine Anonymous in, uh, in the Netherlands and uh, it has grown hugely. It's really, he was, he was a remarkable man and he was a dear friend and I, I, I miss him every day. We have uh, people that listen to this podcast that are in the Netherlands and I have no doubt that somebody is going to uh, recognize his name oh, yeah. as you speak it. And why don't you explain to people just a little bit about what's in there? There's usually three quotes. And by the way, I've, I've never really asked you, is it the same thing every like do you have them in queue is there one for every day of the year and that repeats itself no no they're all 
Um, right now, the ones I'm sending out now are ones that I sent out back in 2008. So I've, we're not creating new ones sometimes. That's not totally true, but I've, I've been doing it for so long now. I've started at the beginning again. And, uh, and so these are ones that it were sent out back in 2008, but they're all original. They're all, they're not recycled every year. There's, I have literally hundreds of them, you know, there's hundreds of them. Um, and if anybody's interested in being part of it, it's, uh, you can email me at uh, billc at kitchentableaa.com. And I'll have that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, but it's billc at kitchentableaa.com. And just out of curiosity, where did that kitchen table AA? And, oh, and I, and I will tell you that I originally uh, went to the URL kitchentableaa.com, but there's no kitchentableaa.com, correct? There was, but it's died off. Yeah, we just didn't maintain it. We started it. W- where that came from is that, you know, Abby and Bill sitting at the kitchen table. So Kitchen Table AA is what we called uh, years ago when we were started doing workshops, myself and, and my sponsor and a guy I sponsor, Matthew Mitchell, um, started doing these sponsorship workshops. And, uh, and we called it Kitchen Table AA. That was the name of it. That's really kind of where it came from years ago. Well, what do we call it? Well, it's sitting across the kitchen table, one-on-one. It's that kind of sponsorship. It's one-on-one turning the pages of the book, sitting at the kitchen table and, and just doing the work. So that became my email address as well when we found that it was Kitchen Table AA. Great. By the way, I love your hat. <laughs> Keeps my head warm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and dive into some subject matter, I guess is what you would call it here. Step three, we really didn't finish that out on the last episode. So um, let's go ahead and take it up from there. I made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. What are your thoughts? Well, kind of where we left off on that, I, I listened to it, and um, um, the whole idea that we're going to turn our life and will over to what already has it anyway. And, and the subject matter, is, as I discussed it, I was, I was telling my story was people, and a good portion of people in AA have a problem with God. We create a God and then don't believe in it, and we struggle with the God concept, and we talk about my will and God's will as if there could be a separation of that. These are some of the myths that I, I think are myths. They're, it's my opinion, but they're really good ones. Is uh, um, <laughs> that, you know, that, that they're the idea of uniqueness and separateness, the idea that I am somehow outside the circle. Um, my problem was I would hear the God stuff and I really didn't like it. I thought it was embarrassing. We talked about that last time. And so I would have these debates and arguments about it with my sponsor and with other people. You know, you, you find your crowd in AA, you're new and you're running around, you're trying to figure this thing out. And hopefully you have the gift of desperation, which will, in a sense, disconnect your intellect long enough to have the experience. Um, 
my understanding of this God, which is a middle, medieval term, the whole term God, uh, you'll hear some of the gurus, some of the people that talk about this stuff, and they won't use that term. And you ask one of them, why don't you say God? That's what you're talking about. It's because when I use that word, you bring your whole bag of stuff and you sit it in the middle of the table. And, and I'm not talking about what you don't believe in. And I think in AA, what the, the critical thing to understand in Alcoholics Anonymous is God, or whatever you want to call this power, is an experience. It's not a concept. In the spiritual world, there's a knowingness that transcends the intellect. There's an understanding that is not an intellectual understanding. Um, in Stranger in a Strange Land, the guy would use the term grok. I grok you. I get you. I understand you. And it's not a mental or an intellectual understanding. It's a visceral, more of a gut level. Uh, one of the teachers I listen to, he talks about when you're meditating and you hear a bird, you don't think it's a bird. You just know. You just know what that is. And then as your intellect engages in that knowingness, it will apply a label to whatever it is you're listening to. And what we're talking about does not have a label. And it drives us mad. We need a label. I need to understand. And that's the booby prize. So today, if somebody, if I'm reading the book with somebody and we get to the third step, I say to the guy, are you ready to do the third step? And he says, no. I go, why not? Well, I have a problem with God. And I just look at him and say, me too. Let's pray. <laughs> and then the guy will say, well, I don't even believe in God. My response is, nobody really does. Let's pray. Because <laughs> I've run out of options. I don't know about you, but these guys are saying, Pray. It says in the book, says pray. What do you say we just give it a shot? And and because I've run out of other options. I don't know what else to do. And uh, when you respond that way, it just takes the wind out of the argument. Um, I hear some people say in AA that if you don't get a God, you can't make it. I, that is patently untrue. Um, I know lots of people in AA that have been sober a long time that don't have what you would define as a God. People in Alcoholics Anonymous talk about having a personal relationship with God. I would hear that, and I didn't get that. I didn't understand that. And I went on a campaign years ago of asking guys, what do you mean by that? What's that feel like, this personal relationship with God? And you get basically two kinds of answers. It's not totally true, but there, there are kind of two categories. One of them is the guy will hem and haw, haw and kind of be upset with you even asking the question because he really doesn't have an answer. He's just repeating something that he's heard other people say. And there's no depth or grasping of what it is he's talking about. And I get that. I understand that. You know? And then there's the other category of people that really have something. They have something. You can tell, but it doesn't lend itself to words. It's a very, very difficult thing to describe. Um, there's a lot of spiritual teachers are out there that are doing their best to try to describe it. And one of the things they'll tell you is because 
we can't grasp these concepts, we will then attach ourselves to the deliverer of the concept. And they understand that they're going to be worshipped because we can't not do that. We will worship them, and through a connection with them, maybe we'll get what we think they have. And they allow themselves to be used that way, but they know full well that it's not them. Ramdas used to tell a story about his guru, Neem Karoli. He would say, uh, he'd sit there and he'd look at the old man, the toothless old man wrapped in a towel, and he'd say, he's not God, he's not the answer. And Neem Karoli would say, ah, Ramdas finally understands. <laughs> you know, and uh, you can have that experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. I did it. You know, I attached myself to my sponsor. You know, when I couldn't believe, I believed in him. And then after a while, as you grow up in sobriety, you realize, well, all that wisdom that he's giving me, he's stolen from other people. He's not that sharp, you know. Mm-hmm. And you can see somebody, you sponsor some guy, and you'll see his face change as the years go by, and he realizes <laughs> that you're a flawed individual, you know, you're not that wise or he catches you in some bullshit, you know, and, and you see their face change as they grow up, you know, and they, you know, sometimes uh, when you're an older guy, you be, you become a father figure a grandfather figure to people. And that's cool. I can do that. You know, and then it changes, it evolves, you know, guys that I've sponsored for 20 coming on 30 years, Am I the sponsor and they're the sponsee? It's not so much like that anymore. They become part of your life. You know, they, they become the keeper of your secrets. Some years ago, I started doing fifth steps with the guys that I sponsor so I can break down the hierarchy because it just doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have that much value. But the third step, the third step to me, what it is, it's I make a decision. When I look back on it, I made a decision to go on with the program is all I really did in that third step. Um, you don't have to believe in anything to be in AA. You don't have to believe in a God. Uh, I'm a pretty close friend with one of the guys that founded the Atheists and Agnostics and Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, he meditates, <laughs> you know, he's a very spiritual guy. He just bridles at the whole concept of the God thing, the hierarchy of it, you know, this being in the sky or whatever, whatever it is, you know, an atheist is a really firm believer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Strangely enough, when you run into an atheist, you know. That's when I tell the guy that nobody really believes. We're all just whistling in the dark, man, hoping for the best. You know, we're hoping for the best. Atheism takes some work. You know, you got to actually think through your issues. Construct. You got to be very specific (laughs) about what it is you don't believe in. Right. If you're an if you're an agnostic, it's much easier. Yeah, because you're just you're wimpy. You just you're not taking a position. You know, so. But the whole, the whole idea of the idea of a personal relationship, what I understand today, and th- this is just me, what I've come to, my ego wants to have a personal relationship with this power. It wants to have a personal relationship, preferably one that's better than yours. Um, and I, my understanding now is that I think God, by its very nature, is impersonal. What do you mean? It's a non-dual kind of thing. There's, 
this all there is is God. All there is is that. I can't possibly be separate from it. If it's part of me, then how can I have a personal relationship with something outside myself? I don't think that there's that barrier. I don't think that there's anything in me that's missing that I need to go get then to be whole. I think what's happening is whatever's blocking me from seeing that I have absolutely everything I need will be taken away. There's nothing to go get. There is not this separation in order for there to be a personal relationship. But that's just for me. I mean, the ego, it dies a very painful death. It needs to have some kind of intellectual understanding in order for it to survive and exist. If you take that away from it, there's just nothing for it to do, right? So these pursuits or spiritual pursuits of understanding are very frustrating. Relaxing into it and experiencing it is a much better pathway. And I just think that takes time and years to come to. What about the whole part in the book where it talks about the, you know, being the actor on stage and the self-centeredness and always trying to arrange the show and such like that? you have any thoughts on that? Well, that's the ego. The ego wants a position. It wants a hierarchy. You know, the thing I used to say about the whole actor on the stage and all that stuff, I said, well, the actor, I used to say the actor wants to be the director. And then it was brought to my attention, no, no, that's not true. If he's the director, he can't be the star of the show. The actor wants to be everything, uh, everything. And I think that's more to the truth. I want to be the star, and I want to be the director and the stage manager, and I want to be the writer to tell you what to say so that it all works and it fits together. That's an egoic thing. The spiritual path, which we'll talk about later in 10 and 11, is about disidentification with self. It's not about becoming a better self. It's not about working on yourself. You know, when you do that, you're feeding the beast. Disidentification with yourself. I've never heard that term before. Well, it's, you know, yeah. You know, I mean, who do you think you are is a very good question to ask yourself from time to time. You know, mm. Who do I think I am? Descartes said, I think, they for, therefore I am. He had it wrong. <laughs> I mean, if I don't think, then I don't exist. Thought is everything? Mm. I don't think so. I think what you realize that who you are One thing is for sure, you certainly are not your thinking mind. And most people believe that's who they are. What they think is who they are. And we spend an immense amount of time trying to change what we think so that we can be better people. And when we do that, we're just giving the ego attention, which is what it wants. It wants positive or negative. It wants attention all the time. But in the third step, what we do, what we're doing here, I get the cart before the horse here a little bit. And the third step, you want to do a third step. People talk about doing a third step. Like, do what? What is it we do? Well, what life and will is the third step talking about that we're going to turn over? It's the inventory. It's resentments, fears, and broken relationship. The end result of living a life with seeming power. Back to the first step. 
what what does a life look like that that is lived powerfully that we're in charge and we're making it happen it usually ends up the end result is there's full of resentments fears and broken relationships resentment because you absolutely insist on living your own life and it pisses me off at my core i am powerless <laughs> over you and you're misbehaving consistently you're treating me poorly you're not you're not behaving correctly there's institutions there's uh, concepts and there's people that are wrong and i've got a long list of these the government god damn it who are they to tell me how to the department of motor vehicles i'm perfectly capable of driving without you licensing me you know and i don't <laughs> like you for that you know there's my mother and my father and my wives and the kids and all of this <clears throat> and i have a long list and they're cranking in my head constantly now i have fear because i have no plan b i've run out of plans and this isn't working look at all these resentments look at the state of my life and i have no plan b to resolve this so of course i have fear and i cover that up with rage and anger i would never call it fear you're asking me to write out a fear list. Afraid of what? Just stop and think about it for a minute. What are you afraid of? Oh my God, what am I not afraid of? Some people have a huge list of fears. They're afraid of everything, you know. But I have fear because I have no faith. I'm living on self-reliance, and my self-reliance has failed me. Look at the resentment list. It's not working out. There's no God in my life. There's. I have no faith in anything. I have a belief mechanism that's being shattered because it's not working out. So, of course, there's fears. Now, if what I'm bringing to the table is resentment and fear, what else could I possibly have but broken and ruined relationships? They're all dramatic and traumatic. So, when I make the sex list, what's it about? Where have I been selfish and self-centered? Where have I not been selfish and self-centered? You know, of course, all my relationships are disasters, you know, especially the sexual ones. You know, when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I don't think I'd ever had sex sober. I couldn't imagine that. I mean, that was where I come from. Some people, it's less so like that. But I, I couldn't. I didn't. I don't know. You know, I had no concept of what it would be like to have sex with another live person and look them in the eye and actually perform the act. What would you say and do? You know, how would that happen? You know, you take away the alcohol, all there is is fear. All there is is fear. I have no idea how I would accomplish that. So this third step that we're going to do, we write this out. In the inventory process is the first time, maybe, certainly, that I tell myself and another human being, much less this weird God thing, here's my stuff. You know, this is the first time that we begin to stop blaming other people. Maybe for the first time in our lives, because we're looking for that fourth column and the rest, my faults and mistakes, right? We've got the resentment, the, the explanation of that resentment, how it affects me and my personal life. And then the fourth column is what are my faults and mistakes? And that's what we're looking for in this inventory, isn't it? What are my faults and mistakes? We're certainly not going to waste a lot of time talking about other people's faults and mistakes. 
although we do discuss that. But in the end, we're looking at what are my faults and mistakes? This is the beginning of taking responsibility for my own life. And when we do that fifth step, that is the physical and literal turning it over and getting rid of it. Here's my stuff. I'm pooped. You take it. We will be continuing our conversation with Bill C. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at www.soberspeak.com. There you'll find about eh, 115, 120 other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website and you can use it only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Bill C. All right, so you were kind of finishing up the third step a little bit, dovetailing into the fourth step. Where do you want to take it from there? Doing a third step requires four and five. After the third step, it says that we launched. This decision that we made had very little effect unless we got into action. And it talks about launching, you know, which doesn't mean we sit and thought about it for a while. You know, uh, I'm not, if I'm working with you, I'm not going to have long, windy discussions about the concepts of God in order for you to do a thorough third step. The reason that you want to be balked on the third step is that you don't want to do the inventory. And the reason you don't want to do the inventory is that's moving closer to the ninth step and you're never, ever going to pay back the money. <laughs> right? So I'm not going to sit, you know, if you're willing to with me, I'll hold your hand. We'll get on our knees and we'll say the prayer together. I'll have you actually write out your own third step prayer and put it in your own words. You know, I think that's fun to do because I like to see what people come up with. And I've written a few that I think are really good, you know, so I'm going to compare mine to yours, you know, and we're going to actually have a little ceremony here if you're willing to do it. If you're not willing to do it, we're just going to move right into the fourth step, you know. Do you use, when you're working with guys, do you use the third step, you know, page 63 that people talk about? Yeah. Uh, what what I'll do with a guy, if he's willing to do it, is I'll have him write out his own third step prayer, and we'll share our own personal prayers with each other. And then we'll hold hands and we'll say the the prayer in the book. You know, well, you can say yours, it doesn't matter, but I just do that because that's what happened with me. So I think doing that ceremony is good because, as I say, I believe what the third step is, is the decision to move on with the process. You know, what's going to happen to you if you're going to come to terms with some sort of a higher power or a God that works for you, it's going to have happen somewhere down the road. You know, a lot of times you'll get a guy that's very religious. He was brought up in a religious family. He has a religion. He doesn't have a problem with that. That's great. Good for you. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's wonderful. This idea of having a problem with God, to me, I kind of feel like, well, if you're an alcoholic, of course you have a problem with God. You know, even if you believe in God, you haven't behaved in a way that you think you should, so you have a problem with it. You know, I mean, you might have arguments. You might you might be real rigid. You might be a real kind of a rigid guy, you know, that feels very strongly about, you know, 
Jesus is my higher power. And if you've got something else, you're wrong. You might be one of those guys. I don't care what it is, whatever you've got going on. If you stick with Alcoholics Anonymous, if you go down this road, if you make the amends, you start working with others, all of that will sort itself out because you will have the experience. And the experience will be so overwhelming that whatever you think about that experience is kind of irrelevant, whatever belief mechanism that you attach to it. With me, I'm the kind of person, I, I came into AA with really no belief mechanism. I had some kind of an intellectual, atheistic kind of thing that I used to talk about because I like to talk. I'm a talker. That's what <laughs> I, you can tell, you know. So that's always been that way, you know. So I would talk about stuff, but I didn't, there was no depth to it. I hadn't ever had an experience. The longer I'm sober, that's the significance of the day of March the 27th, 1985, looms larger and larger and larger. And my content, connect, contention is that day that you got sober and the obsession was lifted and taken away, what else do you need to know? Because in my life, I never asked for that. It's something that just happened. And the longer, the further away I get from it, the more radically I can see how my life has changed. What else do I need to know? The direction of my entire life changed on that day. At six months sober after I did a fifth step, I realized I had a, a, a sober spiritual experience. And what that experience was is, my God, it's going to be like this now. I wasn't sure what this was, but it was very clear to me that the old life was over. That's remarkable. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen to very many people. There's people that pay really good money to try to have an experience like that. The term is has some bad connotation to it nowadays in our society, but it says in the book, at that point, at the third step at least, it says we were reborn, right? Reborn mm -hmm. spiritually. I was, my friend Wayne, my dearest friend, uh, got involved with this guru years ago, um, a man by the name of Ramesh Balsekar, and he came to the United States, and Wayne took me to listen to him talk up in Hollywood, and we went to this guy's house, and Ramesh gave this talk, and afterwards, the three of us, Ramesh, Wayne, and I were sitting back in this back room just talking, and I'm babbling away like I do, and he starts, he, Ramesh, started laughing at me. I said, what are you laughing at? He goes, I just love you alcoholics and drug addicts. And I go, why is that? He goes, well, the rest of them out there are trying to get awakened. You're just trying to figure out what the hell happened. <laughs> I think that's true about us. The rest of this journey is trying to figure out what the hell happened. Right. What happened? And because we're human beings and we think about stuff as we try to determine that. And what's happening now is those of us that are trying to carry a message we're just through that process. We're trying to figure out what the hell happened. Why am I here? Is there a purpose for this? And my experience is, yes, I think there is. Right. Is it just me talking like now? No, but that's certainly part of it. You know, when I'm sitting across the kitchen table with somebody reading the book, there's the purpose. It's very clear. I mean, I don't have to think about what I'm supposed to do. It's really obvious. 
I don't even have to go out and get it. It gets delivered all the time. You know, that's why I'm here. I don't know if you have done much uh, uh, studying of uh, near-death experiences, but they go through the exact same thing. They go through these near-death experiences. You know, they see the light or whatever, and then afterwards, they're just trying to figure out what the hell just happened to me, and they have a new lease on life, and they have a new perspective on life and a new way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. And I think we go through a process too, you know, for a long time in sobriety, I thought that, you know, that I was the source that was springing forth from me. I'm the teacher, you're the student. And then it's become very obvious that, you know, when two people come together, not just one is helped, you know, that it's true. When you come to me, you're the teacher, you know, and, and we're humans. So we create hierarchies. You know, a guy told me years ago, he says, you know, Bill, there's no hierarchy in AA. My response to him is, yes, there is, and you're part of it, you know. So for the first 10 years of my sober life, you know, I was actively trying to make a name for myself in an anonymous organization. You know, what the hell is that? Well, that's me being a human being. It's me, you know, here I'm in this organization, so I want to be the speaker. I don't want to be just sitting in the audience. You know, there's there's a clear pathway to success here. And I'm going to claw my way up that ladder. And some of the people that were around me watching me do this, you know, just kind of patted me on the head and, and loved me. Other people attacked me. I mean, there's a lot of chaos in my life. And then after a while, you grow up, you, you realize, you know, you, you get to the top, whatever you think that is. And you realize how lonely it is. And it's not really there. It's not real. This was a construct and a fabrication in my own head. And when I got there, there were people that were already there that were kind of loving on me, telling me, you're going to be okay, Bill, just shut up. You know, it's like, (laughs) just sit here, relax, you're okay, you're fine. You know, nobody, some people would try to crush you, you know, as they're clawing their way up, you know, and you're, you're an impediment to them. But there's other people I've discovered around that have gone through this and understand exactly what's going on. And they try to help you along. And I find myself in that position now. You know, there's, you know, you can see people doing that, going through this exercise. It's all part of the spiritual path. It's not a mistake. It's part of the drama. It's part of the story. It's the play, you know, and you're in the play and you're a participant and mostly it's pretty healthy, but you're going to, there's only one program, but everyone has their own experience of it. Everybody goes through their own way. There's the introverts, and then there's the extroverts, and there's the people on medication, and there's the other, you know, there's all these different factions, and everybody's going to bring something to the table. That is the wonderful beauty of AA. I mean, in in the 35 years I've been around, I've never been bored. It's never been boring. (laughs) I've been mistreated. I've been treated poorly, but I've never been bored. And anybody that's sitting listening to this right now, if you're bored, it's because you're boring. It's not us. You know, it's not us. You can't make this up. They keep trying to make a reality TV show like AA and they can't do it. I mean, it's a, it's a party. I mean, it's, it's a radical experience. It, it is not a, a beginning level spiritual path. It is the spiritual path. It is like trench warfare, man. We're out in the streets with the hookers and the thieves. We're not hanging out in church. You know, I mean, and I, I love that when you always say, uh, we're the last 
stop on the block. Will you right. go over that? There's no referrals from AA. There's no place you go where you walk in and you say, I'm from AA. They sent me here. <laughs> this is the world's aftercare program. We are the counselors, right? right? The inmates truly are running the asylum, you know, and it's amazing that it works. It's amazing. And I love that piece also where you talk about it. And I've thought about it ever since you said it. It was actually the first episode that we recorded. You said, AA, this is truly a miracle. AA is, uh, how did you put it? Like, we are the mechanisms which God uses to save well, lives. We are in an organization where people's lives are saved every day. And the mechanism that's used for that, for that life-saving process, is us. We are the tool. We are the instruments. If that's the case, which I believe it is, then we want to become as good an instrument as we can become. We want to, we can work on that. It's a good use of the will. You know, mm -hmm. try to be a good 12-step guy, you know, try to try to be a better sponsor. You know, I've I've tried to be a better sponsor. I pick up new tricks and I hear people talk about things. I try to incorporate it. You know, I think as the years have gone by, I'm a better judge of character. So I think I am. That when a new guy comes to me, I can kind of get a better feel for where he's coming from, what his problems might be. You know, I've had all kinds of opinions over the year, and then I've had experiences that have changed my opinions. You know, I'm like any other human being. You walk in a room, and I will judge you and, and put you in a cubbyhole. You're one of those kinds of people. I don't know you, but I'm going to judge <laughs> you, right? And then you walk across the room, and you ask me for help, maybe. Now I'm going to have an experience with you. Now I'm going to get to know you. And in those experiences, it has changed a lot of opinions I had about people and about different subject matters and stuff as I've gotten close to people. You know, we, we, we're a bunch of people that normally wouldn't mix. And through you, through the experience of people in AA, I've been able to experience other cultures, other lifestyles through you because you bring that to me. And it has widened me widen my perspective on human nature and what's going on in the world. You know, things that I've believed I no longer believe because I've had experiences now. It's changed me. That's, that's, that's how you learn compassion in AA is through working with each other. You exercise the compassion muscle. Most of us get to AA without any compassion. We don't even know that we don't have compassion because we've never had it. So how, we, how would we know that there's anything missing? You know, one of the primary examples of emotional immaturity is self-centeredness. And one of the great examples of self-centeredness, an aspect of it, is no compassion. You know, I respond to how you feel impacts me. I'm not really responding to how you feel. I'm responding to how you feel impacts me. <laughs> it's right. like when you're with your wife and she's upset. Oh, God, we got to straighten her out because it's going to be miserable for me if she's upset. I don't really care about what you're upset about. I'm, I care that you're upset and it's impacting my day, you know, <laughs> but I don't know that until I've gotten away from it and I can look back and realize that's how I've been all these. That's why people are so upset with me. I don't really, I, I have no ability for intimacy. I'm not close to you because I don't have, I never developed. It never developed in me. So now this pathway of recovery What's going to happen is I get out of myself and into other people, I'm going to exercise the compassion muscle. If I get some compassion, I will begin then begin to be patient and tolerant because those are aspects of compassion. And what, what do we learn in AA? 
when two alcoholics come together, there's a connection. There's a mysterious connection. We know where each other has come from. There's an immediate compassionate understanding that happens. And the more I exercise that muscle, the more I'm able to take that into my work life and into my home life. But it starts in AA. So if I'm not really interacting with people in AA, if I'm not sponsoring, that never develops. If all I do is go to 850,000 meetings, nothing's going to change, right? Nothing. But the first step towards realizing some of this is, is getting an understanding of the aspects of my nature, and that happens in the fourth and fifth step. I sit down and I listen. And we're not looking for a life story, although it comes out in that. We're specifically looking for the immovable parts of the inventory, the stuff that's not selling, the resentments, the fears, and broken relationships. That's what we're looking for specifically. Now, you can tell me your whole life story, and that, that's all well and good, and I'll listen to it. You know, But what we're looking for, what I'm looking for when I'm sitting with you is I'm looking for those resentments because those resentments are what's going to make up your eight-step amends list. That's where we're going to start is with those resentments. And when we get into the eighth and ninth step, we'll talk more about that and why that is. But in four and five, three, four, and five are linked together. They're a unit. Well, Bill, we have really covered the third step in depth. I think the next time we get back together, we'll pick it up at the fourth step and the fifth step. We'll link together this episode along with uh, the next one. And we'll finish it out from there. Does that sound good from you? Sounds good, good to, to me. You, you bet. All right. Bill, as always, I really, uh, you can see me here. I'm taking lots of notes. And I take notes for a couple different reasons. But one of the primary reasons I take notes is because I don't want to forget what I'm hearing right here. And uh, it is, uh, this is what you call podcast gold, my friend. Well, that's fun. I really enjoy doing it. I'm glad you yeah. invited me into this. Yeah, this is great. Okay, so we'll get together again. I'm going to stop the recording now. God bless you. Let me go ahead and read, actually. Oh, I don't have it pulled up. The page 164 of the big book. I'm going to finish it out with this. Excuse me while I... All right, page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Bill C., as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Mr. Bill, thanks for joining. Thank you, John. Thank you so much, Mr. Bill C., for diving into step three for me and the rest of us. And we will have more of Bill C. coming in the future for your listening pleasure. Uh, we'll take it 
one step at a time. Get it? One step <laughs> at a time. Anyway. All right. Now on to a little listener feedback coming straight from you. Yes, you listening in. Listen, because you're a listener and you give me feedback and then I read it on the air. That's why we call it listener feedback. Richard writes in from across the pond. And Richard says, hey, hi, John, my name is Richard and I'm an alcoholic. Greetings from Stourbridge in the UK, a small English town in the Midlands. John, don't worry, most British people don't know where it is either. (laughs) Could you add me to the secret Facebook group? And here is my email address. And he says, I really like hearing, quote, (laughs) y'all, you're doing a great service. We have a good AA community here where I live, but I rarely get to hear so many people with such lengths of sobriety. Good job. God bless Richard. Well, hello, Richard. Thank you, mate. And we're so glad that you wrote in. All right. And Mr. Rusty writes in. Rusty says, I am Rusty. I'm sorry about that, Rusty. You'll have to get that shaken off. Ah, Just kidding. I'm sure you've heard that before. Anyway, he says, I am Rusty and I live on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, Mississippi. Let me let me do this real quick. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. I think I got it. There is something that I actually learned in grade school. See, I learned how to spell Mississippi real quick. Anyway, he says, I live on the Mississippi Gulf Coast in a town called Lucidale, L-U-C-E-D-A-L-E. Lukedale? Who knows? I will be two years sober on April 13th, 2020. That's great, Mr. Rusty. Fantastic. He says, I found your podcast on the Podbean app and I listen to the speakers while I travel. Keep up the great work and I appreciate you. Well, I, Mr. Rusty, sorry, Mr. Rusty, appreciate you and I will keep it up if you keep listening. How's that sound? Amber writes in, and Amber says, I found Sober Speak via Spotify. You know, we have a lot of listeners on Spotify nowadays. I can see it in the stats that come in. Anyway, she says, I typed in Alcoholics Anonymous and came across your podcast. I have been sober for three weeks today. That's great, Amber. I just got a sponsor and I'm going to start working the steps. Today has been a hard day. I've waited to get sober for a while, but the straw that broke the camel back, camel's back was that I got a DUI about a month ago. I'm stressing about it. I'm trying to stay positive. So thank you for the podcast and accepting me into the group. Blessings, Amber. Will you are so welcome. And the group that she's talking about is she wanted to get in the uh, secret Facebook group and you are more than welcome to be in there. I'm so glad you're in there. Thanks for letting us be part of your journey. Please keep me posted. And uh, I can tell you that I went through the exact same thing. And if you listen, when I say the exact same thing, struggling 
especially over those first few weeks or sometimes even an entire year, sometimes longer than that. But it was worth it. As they say in Alcoholics Anonymous, don't quit before the miracle happens. God bless you, Amber. You keep it up. John writes in from New Zealand. You know, we're going to start calling uh, listener feedback Kiwi speak, I think, because it has been an absolute Kiwi invasion, and I love it. (laughs) For those of you who may not have heard some of the previous episodes, or you just don't listen to listener feedback, and I get it, right? My gibberish and stuff like that. Just want to hear the speakers. You know, I wonder how many times, how many people get to listener feedback and they go, "Mm, I'm going to cut it off now. I don't want to hear that guy and all his nonsense. But nonetheless, um, yeah, and don't write me and tell me about it if you do. <laughs> well, but, but if you got to this point and you were listening to me, maybe that means you changed up for one week. I don't know. But anyway, a kiwi is more than shoe polish here in the United States. A kiwi is an individual that hails from the great country of New Zealand. So anyway, John writes in from New Zealand uh, here on the Kiwi Invasion, and he says, Hi, John. Thank you for sending that link. He wanted to get into the Facebook group. And I said, no problem. And he says, I am a 40-year-old business owner based on the North Shore of Auckland City, New Zealand. I emailed you a few months back after hearing you mention a fellow struggling in our city, uh, to which you replied, by the way, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And I hope that all worked out. I hope you guys were able to get together. I was born in England and moved to New Zealand at 13 years old when my parents split up. And that was the beginning of my journey to ending up in AA on the 17th of June, 2017. Drugs and alcohol were the solution to my problem right from the get-go. It was the cause of a lot of them too, of course. Like many of us, I drank to deal with my feelings and I had no off switch. By the time I was in my late teens, my drinking was really unpredictable. I could be the life of the party, but more often I got into trouble or blacked out. My solution to this was to start smoking meth. (laughs) Yeah, and taking party drugs, and for the next five or six years, I didn't drink any alcohol at all. Unfortunately, I knew where this is going. That lifestyle of dealing and using took me to my first of many rock bottoms. The final straw was when a good friend of mine committed suicide. Oh, so I went cold turkey and quit drugs. The come down was awful, so I needed something to help, so I started drinking again, slowly at first, but then it snowballed. Fast forward 10 years of broken relationships, anxiety, and depression, and, and I picked up that morning drink. That was the beginning of the end for me. The next two and a half years were hell. Life involved coming to Drinking to face the day, going to work, drinking vodka to get get me through the day, and then back home to drink to black out, rinse, and repeat. On the outside, things look good. I had a business, a home, and all the things on the inside. 
uh, uh, excuse me, a home and all the things, but on the inside, I was a wreck. And at the end of the day, I got really sick and could no longer hide the problem. I lost a lot of weight, shook uncontrollably, and had a bad memory loss. A couple of my close friends who I hadn't driven away stepped in and wanted wanted me to go to treatment, but I was too scared. I suggested AA to them and off my to get off my case, and that's where my life changed. I went to my first AA meeting on the 17th of June, 2017, and thought my life was over. Ha ha. I heard in the meetings that, quote, that I could leave there that day and need never drink again, unquote. And for me, that has been the case, which I am so grateful for. I also heard, quote, this is a spiritual program and not a religious one, unquote, which was really important for this sensitive atheist. Most importantly, I heard, quote, keep coming back, unquote, which I did the next day and went on to 90 and 90 and then almost a meeting or two every day for the first year of my sobriety. It was, uh, it was at, it was at a meeting that I felt safe. And that was my experience too. That's me talking. Anyway, he says, I got a sponsor. I did the steps and changed my, and my life change. I also do a lot of service work and work other than alcohol and work with other than alcoholics on a daily basis. I tried to be everything to stop drinking. And the biggest difference was this time. And the foundation of my recovery is the relationship with my higher power and handling and handing my will over to him. Life is different, very different. Well, my perspective is anyway, the anxiety and depression is all but gone. I have my family back, my friends back, my health is back to a hundred percent, and I am committed. I am in a committed, honest relationship with a woman and the fellowship who works a very strong program. The biggest thing I have is peace of mind. Most of the time, I attend three to five meetings a week, talk to my sponsor, and the and the other alkies every day, and I do service work, and this helps to keep me on track pretty well. This is obviously a snapshot of my story. I am blessed that when I arrived at AA, I was desperate and just surrendered. I know not everyone's journey is like that, and I'm grateful that I haven't gone back out. I started listening to Sober Speak a few years back, back after losing after looking for podcasts to listen to my sleep has always been difficult so i eat so i listen to your podcast to relax before bed and after my prayer i also use them to stay connected when i travel it's great to hear so many people with long sobriety thank you john for the service you do for putting together these podcasts if you ever come down to new zealand let me go Kind, let me go. Let me know. Kind regards, John. Would John from New Zealand? This is John M. from the United States. And if I ever do come down to New Zealand, I will let you know. I will let all you Kiwis know. Uh, gosh, it looks like a beautiful place. I'd love to get down there. Uh, uh, who knows? You never can tell. All right, everybody.
John, thank you for writing in. Thank you for letting me be part of your journey to everybody else. God bless you. Love you. Uh, thanks for coming in today and listening to us. Keep coming back, my friends. It works if you work it. Hopefully, I'll see you next week.